The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. It's Wednesday, September the 27th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Pat Leahy is on the line from Kildare Street, from Dáil Éireann. It's a serious matter that we're going to be discussing today because it is always a serious matter when the state is taken all the way to the Supreme Court by a private citizen who ultimately wins their case. And when the court then instructs the Oireachtas to change the voting process for one of its two chambers, that's even more serious. And that is what Thomas Hennehan has done. Thomas is a graduate of Limerick University. And I mention that not because it's a LinkedIn profile, Thomas, but because it's relevant to our story today. It is indeed. And thank you for having me in, Hugh and Pat, from a distance. Um, yeah, I suppose it's, it is completely relevant. I suppose I wouldn't have had, or I perhaps wouldn't have had any standing in the case if uh, if I wasn't a UL graduate. So uh, it certainly helped, although I could have been a DCU graduate. So Indeed you could. So tell us, what is the case that you brought? So essentially the, the argument was is that obviously in 1979, there was a referendum to essentially expand the university franchise for a Shannon election, election. So that's six seats out of the 60. And what happened after that was, well, nothing. Uh, several reports, 45. 40 odd years um, of just kind of talking a lot and no action. Um, So I suppose I decided in 2019 that as a two times graduate of UL at the time, I wanted to see something happen on that. Um, So I decided kind of perhaps somewhat foolhardily to to, uh, go into the high court initially by myself as a lay litigant. Um, In hindsight, I'm glad I didn't continue in that vein that I managed. Why is that? um, I suppose the it wasn't that I not confident in my arguments, I certainly was. Um, but I suppose the practicalities of bringing a legal case, you don't hear about it unless you're inside it. So lodging documents, providing them to the other side, getting them stamped and submitted and timelines and all of these things that you don't really think about um, from the outside. Um, and, and the other side is obviously very well equipped and manned with great expertise and ex- ready to rebut at every at every point. Exactly. And they certainly uh, did not spare any arguments. Um, certainly one of their main arguments was it wasn't justiciable. So the argument was that the courts couldn't even look at it. That it was and and is that image. because of the separation of powers that that, that the courts are not supposed to intervene in the workings of the House that of is, the Oireachtas? That is exactly it. And I suppose the, the perception, whether the state believed it or not now is another question, but the perception on their side was that um, I was asking the court to tell the Oireachtas to legislate a certain way. Not at all. I certainly was never, uh, that was never the intention. I simply presented the court with a piece of legislation from 1937 and a referendum result from 1979 and essentially said, these don't match up. Can you have a look at it? So let's dig into that in a second. Just to say that therefore you proceeded with the with support or in association with the Free Legal Aid Centre? Yeah, uh, the Free Legal Advice Centre. So they're a private uh, NGO. So they're not, they're often confused with the legal aid service, which is a state run thing. So completely separate. Um, And I suppose kind of, I, I was concerned at the start that I suppose I'm not your typical uh, flack client or the one that people would see that would need help with social um, social welfare payments or immigration issues or that kind of thing. But one thing they do 
is they take what's called uh, strategic litigation cases. So they would have taken it back, I think, in the early 2000s for Dr. Lydia Foy, um, and they would have pursued that through to, to a successful outcome. So I was aware of that, um, and I decided just to get in contact with them more so because I didn't really know what I was doing. After I went into court the first time and I wasn't kicked out, um, I was just kind of told I had to come back a few months later and put the other side on notice and I didn't know what I was doing. It must be all rather intimidating. It was, it was. Um, I had actually been in several months earlier in 2019, a separate legal issue on blood donations actually, and I had been successful in getting leave to bring that case and the judge was very complimentary of the documents I had put together. So I think I was going in there with an inflated sense of uh, of knowledge. Uh, it turned out to be a different judge this time and he... Um, was not as keen to to pursue the issue. Well, let's look at the the, the issues there. I mean, just to, I mean, I know our listeners are very well across the constitutional <laughs> niceties of this of this state, but just to remind them that there are sixty members of the Senate uh, of Shannon Aaron. Uh, it is uh, it is elected after a general election. There are eleven Taoiseach's nominees. There are three senators elected by graduates of Trinity College Dublin, Dublin University and three uh, senators elected by graduates of, I think, what used to be known or may still be known, I'm not sure, is the National University of Ireland, it which essentially indeed, means yeah. uh, UCD, UCC and what is now the University of Galway. Uh, UCC, UCD, uh, Galway and Maynooth. And yeah. Maynooth yeah, also. Yeah, and Maynooth also. And, and this was all really set up in 1937 in a very different country. There was no University of Limerick. There was no Dublin City University. There was no, there was, n- there were none of the various technological universities and indeed the many, many other third level institutions which exist around the country. And that's without even getting into the question of why should you get an additional vote in a democracy yeah. just because you, ha- you have a degree. But you were really, as you said, putting together the requirements of the 1937 Constitution as amended by this Seventh Amendment, I think it yep, is, to the, to it, the yeah. Constitution in 1979, which was instituted not to liberalise it, but just because the government of the day thought it was going to have a problem because the, the National University of Ireland was going to be split, broken up or something. Yeah, there was a proposal at the time to, or talk of abolishing the NUI and what that have obviously would have meant there would have been a consequent knock-on effect on the constitution because that specifically calls out the NUI. So I suppose when they went to look at that, they perhaps thought in their wisdom, we'll actually just provide for an extension of the franchise while we're here. Um, 97 odd percent voted for it. Now it was a low turnout admittedly, but you know, that's a huge number uh, to to vote for this provision. Uh, It obviously passed and you had this section inserting the constitution that kind of a subsection. So the first section said, you know, these uh, six senators shall be elected by these two universities. But then you had a subsection that said, but they can also be elected by these others, higher education institutions. It didn't really name any specific ones. And the problem comes in that is that there's a clear conflict between the two. Because if you legislate, if you just go ahead and legislate to extend to UL and DCU and the ITs, you actually have a section in the constitution that still says limits it to Trinity and NUI. So you could have a Trinity or NUI graduate come along and go, well, no, that's that legislation's not not provided for in the constitution. Mm. So I suppose the outcome of this Supreme Court case is that they actually just said that shall in the first section doesn't mean shall, it means may. 
So it it sounds so this odd is, to yeah, know no, 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 this is the kind yeah. of key legal point, isn't it? Because yeah. I think this is where you lost in the High Court. I'm, I think yes, I'm right yeah. in saying yeah. is that there was a different interpretation in the High Court which went against you, but then you took it to the Supreme Court. Yes, exactly. So I suppose in the High Court, the position was that um, the the shall has to mean shall. So it means full stop, NUI and Trinity are preferred over everyone else in Senate elections. But when it came to the Supreme Court, they looked and said, well, if the second part that was inserted in 1979 allows the first part to be edited, then surely the shall has to mean may or else the second part doesn't work. Um, And that was one of the points. There was another one actually about the when the Oireachtas had passed the legislation to provide for the referendum in 1979, there was a, a page included in the thing that was essentially to be provided to voters on the day should they be a little unclear on what the vote was about. And that actually did say, this is to provide for the expansion of the franchise. Okay, so that was the way in, which the, the, in which the amendment was presented to the to the people who voted overwhelmingly for it. That was the way it was presented then, but also, importantly, presented to the Dáil and the Shannon at the time. They're the public representatives who voted for it, and they looked at this and obviously said, yes, that's, that's fine, go ahead. Pat, what, can I bring you in here? I mean, what do you think about this? I know you uh, and other people not too far from me here in the studio roll their eyes at my... Um, deep exasperation that this is a kind of failure of the Irish political system and the kind of resulting rotten boroughs of Trinity and the National University of Ireland, which continue to exist as as, as a result. I mean, you've never seemed as upset about it as I have. What do you make of it? I mean, it is true, Hugh, that of all the things that upset me about uh, Irish politics, the uh, university senators are not, probably not in the top 10 uh, of them. In fact, they may not even be in the top 20 but but that's because you're an NUI voter, isn't it? <clears throat> it's because I'm really, I suppose, if I'm if I'm honest, it's because I'm outraged that Trinity should have any votes at all in it. But leave uh, my uh, UCD chauvinism aside uh, for a moment. And it is quite clear that people vote. The Dáil legislated and people for a referendum in 1979. People voted for a referendum in 1979 with the idea of expanding the franchise. And, you know, Tomás is a uh, lay litigant, but um, it seems to me that his legal strategy was, you know, very clever, whilst being very simple, was to point out the, uh, was to point out the contradiction between the Constitution as amended in 1979 and the original Electorate Act. Now, the courts are always very reluctant to interfere in, uh, in elections, and they have given the state some leeway in the implementation of this judgment, but it's pretty clear that his court case, was court case, has meant the end of the road for the university seats uh, as we now uh, as we now know them. Will that have a big impact on uh, Shannon in uh, in the future? Uh, I I have my doubts, but it's kind of inarguable that it's uh, you know it's not before time. Well, before we move on to that, let me ask you, Tomas, the the, the court um, ruled in your favour and then came back in July with, um, I suppose, clearer instructions to what the Oireachtas should have to do and, crucially, on the timing of that. Yeah, exactly. So I suppose that when the initial uh, decision dropped, there was a bit of shock. Um, The state certainly didn't expect it to go that way. I would have had my doubts in the back of my mind, so I didn't have anything prepared to to say on the day. Um, So, yeah, there there was kind of a bit of a, oh, wait, what's just happened moment. So the court decided to give the state and my side, the two, kind of some space to digest the result, to kind of make submissions on on 
what we think should happen next, because you can't, I suppose, the court couldn't realistically turn around at the 31st of March this year and go, right, that's it, game over, put in new legislation tomorrow, um, or the whole thing collapses. They couldn't realistically do that, so they had to set kind of some timeline. But make it a realistic one. You know, it has been 44 years. You could argue that the, the state has had plenty of time to, to legislate on this particular matter, um, and they obviously have draft legislation all over the place that they have multiple options to go forward. So they didn't want to give them too much time, um, but they wanted to be realistic. Um, now, my own view on it is that, realistically speaking, um, there could be a chance of a constitutional crisis if this isn't changed ahead of the next general election. I know that's quite a tight deadline, and it's not the one that the court has said. They've said, um, I think it's end of May twenty twenty five. It's interesting that they chose that date. They have said that a, a new system that actually reflects the constitutional requirements, as decided in their judgment, has to be in place by May twenty twenty five. And I was doing the calendar mathematics in my head. In theory, in theory, this particular government that we have right now could run until January of 2025, call an election which would take place and the new doll presumably would meet then in March or April. Would that, that would be too late then. They would have to have the new system in place in, in, that, in, in, in that particular scenario. So that's my personal belief. Um, I believe that it should be because arguably you could have an individual contest either of the two, uh, you know, University of Dublin or NUI elections, lose and turn around and say, well, actually, that that election wasn't valid um, because of this court judgment and go into the high court, seek an injunction to prevent the new Shannon meeting until the matter is resolved, appeal it all the way through up through the system. Meanwhile, you have a frozen Shannon that can't actually pass legislation. So reflective of what happened after the last election when the 11 Taoiseach's nominees couldn't be appointed. So you get into this whole messy area and to be honest, I don't think anyone wants that. Politicians, the public, I don't think anyone wants to see another messy outcome from an, from an election. So, What do you think of that scenario, Pat, and what do you think is likely to happen? I think it's unlikely, to be honest, um, that, the, that the Supreme Court would, uh, would precipitate a constitutional crisis in that, uh, in that way or that the High Court uh, would do so. It's not beyond the bounds of possibility, but I, I, I think it unlikely. I mean, it is possible given the given the timelines that are that are involved, of course, that a twenty twenty four election might get in under the barrier uh, on this and could be conducted according to the old rules. Maybe another maybe that's another argument for uh, a twenty twenty four election, some of which are flying around uh, government at the time. But it's funny, Pat, Pat, just just listening to you there then, then if if we get to, let's say we get to June of next year and there's no sign of any draft legislation or proposals, because it'd be quite a complicated thing, obviously, as you know, even in its most simple iteration, well, then everybody's going to be able to turn around and say to Leif Radker and Micheál Martin and Eamon Ryan, okay, so you're planning an election for October, November after all, aren't you? Yeah, I suppose you could. Um, You know, I think one of the things to watch out for is... Taoiseach is actually addressing the Shannad um, this week. Uh, I think it's on. I think it's on Thursday, and it'll be interesting to see if he sets out any plans uh, on this. If he doesn't, then I think we can reasonably conclude that they just haven't decided what to do yet. Um, but uh, he may give an insight into what the government's thinking uh, on it is. It'll be also interesting to see whether 
they, uh, where the government, if they do present a reform plan, confine it merely to the university uh, senators. Yes, and, and in fact, they... do hold that thought because that, that, that is exactly what I wanted to go on to next. We're just going to take a very quick, quick break before we go into that, but we'll, we'll be back after this. And you're very welcome back. We were talking before the break. Pat was just about to preempt me, so as usual, I just I just stopped him there. You dived but, in, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tomas, I wanted to ask you first because I don't I did I don't get the impression um, that what you're looking for is just for the franchise to be extended from the current two university constituencies to every graduate in the country. You're looking for a bit more than that, are you? Absolutely. Uh, it was never my intention to have it expanded only to more graduates. Um, and actually, when I went into the high court in the first place. Often it's kind of missed because we dropped it in the appeal, but there was a whole element in the High Court about expanding the 43 seats out to a wider population. Now, it wasn't as obviously strong as a legal argument, so we left These it These are aside. the seats that, just to remind our, our well-informed listeners again, are are elected uh, along a, a number of panels which were devised in the 1937 Constitution by a constituency which ex- consists of uh, TD senators and um, members of local authorities. Yes, exactly. And it's it's outdated, beyond outdated, I think. And that's a, a, a view shared by many people, I would imagine. Um, unfortunately, those kind of uh, panel system is baked into the Constitution. So unless you want to go tinkering around with another referendum, you have to kind of work with those panels. However, what's not baked in is who gets to elect them. Um, so That's not constitutional, that's nope. just legislation. Yep, simple old legislation can be scrapped in the morning um, and replaced. Um, what the... There was a report in 2015 from uh, Morris Manning, Mm. a group led by him, and that report said uh, recommended that 30 senators be elected by the general public, um, so the people who vote in all elections, but a little bit further than that, um, people in the North who are entitled to Irish citizenship. um, And I think it was 13 would remain kind of to be elected by the current system. So and you'd also have the eleven Taoiseach's nominees because exactly. that's constitutional yeah. would, would 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 remain also. So the kind of one of the one of the points which people bring about an upper house is that, you know, what you don't want is an upper house that's at odds with the lower house all the time. So you want the sort of the majority uh view in the upper house not you know to to roughly reflect what has happened to the general election and the the government that was elected in the lower house the the main house the door. Yeah well one of the interesting things about the challenge is that it doesn't really have the power to do more than temporarily delay legislation. It can't really stop the government from doing things, especially in relation to taxation, budgets, referendums, for example. So it's it's not really ever the case that the Shannon could collapse a government or anything like that um, in a traditional sense. What they would be able to do is they would be able to challenge the doll and the government a lot more um, on legislation. And we've seen that actually, um, I suppose, one area... Uh, whatever your views on it, one area where the challenge has been successful in the last few years in asserting itself was um, the judicial appointments legislation that was kind of driven from the government, driven from Shane Ross and the government at the time. And due to, uh, I suppose, filibustering in the Shannon, eventually died a sad death in the Shannon. And of course, the university senators played a very important part in that. Yes, they did indeed, particularly, I suppose, Michael McDowell and Ivana Batchik. But the university senators, and this is this is one thing that I've always tried to emphasize is um, I'm very conscious that the university senators tend to be the most effective out of all the ones there. So my um, case was never an attack on the current office holders, while some may, may not be my preferred office holders. Um, I respect that they have been technically elected and some of them elected by more people 
then elect certain TDs. So, you know, there, there is an argument there. My, Although there's this unbelievable <laughs> inequality baked into Absolutely. this system. I, mean, I seem to remember there were posters up around the time of the last general election, which pointed out that because the graduates of these universities are concentrated in certain constituencies, particularly in Dublin, mm-hmm. that certain people in certain leafy suburbs of Dublin get two or three times the amount of votes that mm-hmm. people in less leafy suburbs get. And ironically, there is, I think by my last count, there's one senator who currently holds, I think, seven votes in standard elections. Um, now, I actually do particularly like this senator, so I'm not going to name check them. But it's possible to have multiple votes in a standard election. So one person can have multiple votes. Others, like myself, I suppose, have zero. So I think that's one of the biggest issues. And the, the point of the case was really to what stop what's what I would refer to as the inertia in the Oireachtas for mm. 40 odd years of talking the talk about challenge reform, but never doing anything. Absolutely. And actually, Pat, one of the reasons I find this so infuriating uh, is that, you know, thinly veiled bad faith, in my view. For example, the Manning Report, which Tomás refers to there, that was after the the, the failed referendum to um, to abolish the Shannon in 2013. It was commissioned by Enda Kelly's Fine Gael government. It was led by Morris Manning, who was a sort of a, a great kind of pillar of the Fine Gael establishment. It was charged with coming up with reform within the confines of the existing constitution. It did that. And then by the time it gave its report, uh, Leo Varadkar, who had become Taoiseach, was being all sniffy about it being old-fashioned and rooted in the corporatist values of Catholic 1930s Ireland, which was exactly what the government of which he as a member had asked it to do. And I mean, it's it's all just long fingering and excuses, isn't it? I know, Hugh, but you, you'll just have to calm down and we, we'll have to try and work <laughs> this through as logically as we, as we can. Um, yeah, look, I think, I, I, I don't disagree with anything you say. Part of the reason, of course, and never mind my view on it, my explanation, I think, for it, is that governments, or parties rather, tend uh, to be in favour of all sorts of reforms which may circumscribe the power of governments until such time as they are members of those governments. And then they find all sorts of very persuasive reasons as to why the current strong executive and weak uh, upper house actually is a good idea uh, after all. There's also, I suppose, the consideration that channel reform is, uh, I, I suspect there are very few votes in it, and it is complex It involves treading on the privileges of the existing political class, particularly when it comes to local authority and Oireachtas members who vote on all the uh, the different panels. And I think governments tend to find that it's just not a priority for them when they uh, get into office. And I think that's why, really, why it has remained uh, unreformed, notwithstanding uh, the, the, the righteous anger uh, uh, at this appalling state of play uh, that, that you so eloquently uh, test to you. So that's it, really, Tomás, is that turkeys just aren't going to vote for Christmas? Is that the, that, 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 that's the, the complexity and nuance of the argument here? Well, they don't have a choice now, thankfully. Well, indeed. Um, so I suppose kind of my view on it has always been that the reason why nothing has happened, why it's always been very positive words, in fact, when there was legislation introduced over two years ago now, government TDs or senators stood up and gave tremendous speeches about how great the legislation would be and then voted to delay it by indefinitely. So there's a lot of 
nice words about it. But the reason why I think it's been constantly put off and blocked, I think, in some cases, and why there was such an effort in court and there was a, a persistent effort to have this thrown out, wiped clean. Um, the reason is because particularly the established parties use the Shannad as gifts. Shannad seats are gifts to party loyalists, um, potential party loyalists, uh, people loyal to the leaders. So not to name any particular individuals, but a certain party in government at the moment would have used their selection of seats to uh, promote individuals who are loyal to their party leader versus a potential challenger within the party. So that kind of thing. It's a loyalty thing. It's a gift. Here is your seat for however much it is now, 60 something, 70,000 euro a year, plus you get to gallivant around the country on expenses. It's a very cynical way of looking at it, but I think that's potentially one of the biggest obstacles is they don't want to give away their their toys to the public to play with. Mm. Do I hear the division bells behind you there, Pat? Uh, the division bells of the Shannon. Actually. Oh, well, no. good. Well, there he is. Democracy in action. <laughs> he yes, laughs. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is which has returned this week after an eleven-week break. Mm, just, yeah. just let me put it to you then. Then, regardless of what we were, I was I was asking about previously about you know the impact on the election and whether you know the, uh, how the May twenty twenty five deadline works. Change is going to have to come now, isn't it? Tomas has uh, rode up on his trusty charger and he is uh, he has lanced the beast, and the beast is finally, after all these many decades, going to have to respond and to do something. And would it, will it even be sufficient after all the bloviating and the rhetoric about reforming the Shannon from all these pillars of the political establishment over so many years if they just extended it to all graduates? Are they not? Is it not like a piece of thread that once you start pulling at it, it kind of unravels? I'm not sure it is really, to be honest. I think it, it will be kind of possible for them if they so wish. It's probably the path of least resistance to do a uh, to do a limited reform um but you know i mean it just the whole episode and and you know tomos's achievement in securing this legal victory just kind of demonstrates again that you know if the state doesn't want to do the established interests of the state really doesn't want to do something then very often the reality is that the only way to get them to do it is to force them to do it in court. And of course, that doesn't apply to every uh, every policy area. But it is only, I mean, I think it is instructive that after so much, you know, so much talk of Shannon reform, so much bloviating, Hugh, to use your own phrase that I, I note that you are ascribing to others, uh, that, um, that it is only when faced with an order of the Supreme Court that the government of the day, and remember successive governments mm. of differing political stripes have refused to reform the Shannon, that, uh, that it is only in the face of a Supreme Court order that this government is going to have to do it, or perhaps the next government is going to have to do it. But Tomás is right. They have to do it now. There's no way out of this. I mean, I wonder what your expectation is, Tomás, because, I mean, I, I always bow down to the greater wisdom of, of, of Mr. Leahy, but it seems to me that, you know, the very that, strong... That actually rarely happens. <laughs> well, true, that's true. Uh, but the very, the very strong recommendations of, say, the Man- take, take the Manning report from... I mean, they contain things which, rhetorically at least, uh, the main parties in the Dáil are very strongly committed to. So, for example, some 
element of extension to people in Northern Ireland and overseas. We've talked endlessly about that over the last 10 10 years or more. This would be the opportunity to do it. The report is there about how to go about it. It would seem to me to be tough for Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, or indeed maybe Sinn Féin in government by the time this has to come to pass, to say no to that. Very tough, I would imagine. And actually, the Attorney General, I think himself, during the proceedings, stood up and told the court that it, it it's a difficult thing to do to keep it confined solely to university graduates if they're extending it. That that was his position, presumably instructed by the government to press that particular position. Um, but I think they're they're right. It would be difficult to turn around to the electorate, and next year is an election year after all, and say we're going to extend the Shanage franchise, but we're going to keep it within this small, small closed group and be damned with everyone else. Best of luck, to be honest, best of, best of luck saying that. Um, well, there I, is the option to them, which has been op- open to um, about 15 governments so far to just lie about what they're going to do after the election. <laughs> True. Um, so I suppose actually at the, at the moment there is actually a bill sitting there at second stage of the Shanage since November 2020 that came out of uh, a group that followed the Manning Report, so this Shannon Reform Implementation Group in 2018 that was established by Leo Varadkar uh, and chaired by Mike, Michael McDool at the time. Uh, an all-party group, they all have feedback on it. There was a couple of minority um, positions at, at the end of it, but ultimately they came to an agreement, um, had a professional draftsman in and created this hundred and something page Act that deals with all of this. Now, there's amendments needed to it. Certainly, there's a, I've spotted a few areas in it myself that I think need to be tightened up. But it's sitting there. It's ready to go. It would extend the franchise to um, individuals who can already vote in Dáil elections, um, individuals in the north, and Irish citizens and passport holders living abroad. So the and it's interesting in the Manning report. I think correct me if I'm wrong. It's a kind of an opt-in system. So in other words, you don't have to kind of try and get every one of the 7 million people who in theory might be entitled to vote, yeah. but people are invited and they can apply to vote if they're in, in the North or if they have passport holders overseas. Exactly. And because to be honest with you, and this is the realistic part of this, not a lot of people have an interest in the Shannon. Now that may change if they're ever given a vote, but as it stands and history shows, they don't have a lot of and interest And that's true. In you it. see that in the in the turnout for the university yeah. seats. So. Yeah. It would ideally be an opt-in system. I certainly would be firing off my application to get in there as soon as possible. But the proposal is as well that you wouldn't be, there would no longer be kind of a, you get six votes, you get one. It would be you opt into which of the panels you want to vote for. So I, for example, may say, well, I want to vote for a university's candidate. So I'm going to opt into this one instead of, say, the Labour panel or something. So you would still only get one vote each, um, but it would be opt-in. Thankfully, Pat, you disagree. You think it's you think they could get away with basically um, only extending to, I suppose, all graduates. It would be all graduates of private colleges as well as public colleges. I just keep pulling at that piece of string, and I just don't know oh, where it's going to get. Have... Is it a diploma? Is it a degree? You know, what's the qualification? Well, one thing that was pitched in the Supreme Court, and perhaps jokingly, was that it could be extended solely to just uh, graduates of King's Inns, which would be all the judges. <laughs> but that's a, that's, a, that's took... a very very loyally yeah. joke there. <laughs> They, they took immense uh, joy at that one, I think, but didn't take it seriously. Pat, what do you think? I think they could restrict it to um, uh, to just graduates of uh, third level, the people people with degrees and our diplomas. Uh, perhaps can't see them going any further uh, than that in terms of educational qualifications. 
uh, at least. Well, let me ask, um, let me ask but, you at least, let me put the question to you. Why should somebody who's qualified as a plumber not be allowed to vote in this election as much as anybody who's got a degree in philosophy? Uh, well, I'm not for a moment saying that they shouldn't, but I'm, but what, I mean, perhaps you could have, I, I, I don't know, a, a plumbing panel or, or, or maybe for a panel for people uh, involved in all aspects of uh, wastewater and sanitation. I, I mean, I don't know. I think it's... There'd be some good names I for that one anyway, I suppose. Possibly, poss- I think possibly, uh, you know, a, a more extensive... Um, perhaps in another podcast, Hugh, we can, uh, we can examine this, the, the possibilities, the endless possibilities at greater length. What I think is more likely, though, um, leaving aside whatever views I might have on it, I think what is more likely is that a minimal reform uh, is, uh, is undertaken and that the sort of wider reform, the sort of real reconstitution of the Shannad, as suggested by uh, the Manning group, um, which, you know, would involve the, you know, universal, uh, as we've already discussed, universal franchise, vote for emigrants and our citizens in Northern Ireland... Uh, reconstitution of the vocational panels and all, all, all those sort of things. Uh, I, I just find it difficult to see the government at this stage in its life proceeding on such a substantial reform and a reform that would discommode many of its own uh, many of its own people. What so about, what about uh, if it, fall, what, what, what about if it doesn't it. fall to this government? And it seems quite possible, depending on what way the, the calendar falls. It, it might well fall to a government led by Sinn Féin, which has strong commitments to a new Ireland, a 32-county uh, vision, um, a, a more le- leftward um, position on the ideological spectrum. Do you think they could really hold the line on that? Well, I, 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 I think that a future government led by Sinn Féin, is much more likely to extend the franchise to people in Northern Ireland, um, at, at, at the very least. Uh, so it may be the case that, you know, that the, that, the, that the current government wants to get a reform done now so that future governments won't, uh, won't return to it. But, you know, I guess, we'll, I, I guess we'll see what happens there. But uh, some sort of plan is going to have to be produced, that's for sure. Tomás, having had this great success, do you feel you, your work is done, you're handing, hanging up your, your spurs when it comes to legal challenges to the state or do you have something else ahead of you? <laughs> uh, I have been asked this one, what legal tra- challenges next? Because obviously I started off with blood donation challenges, did two of those, then moved on to Shannon. Uh, and to be honest, I think I've pressed my luck enough at this point. Um, I don't think there's going to be any more legal challenges. There was a daunting experience, uh, particularly in the high court. That was not that was not enjoyable. Um, but I think certainly I'm not done with this question of Shannon's reform. Um, I, I'll, thankfully, uh, a senator has agreed to sponsor me, I suppose, as a term to go in uh, on Thursday morning and see the Taoiseach's address just to kind of be there in person and witness it. I'll certainly continue to uh, press wherever I can to have what I think is the best solution, which is to extend it, the vote to everyone. Um, because to be honest, if it's just extended to graduates, it'll be, I think, less than half of my family will be able to vote. I'd like all of my family to be able to vote. Um, so I'm not done with that. I'm certainly not done with politics. Certainly not done with listening to this podcast. So That's what we like to hear, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. 
Well, listen, I want to say congratulations because I honestly do think that you have done the state some service in this instance and and fair play to you. Tomás Hanahan, uh, thanks very much for coming in. Thanks to Pat for joining us from the uh, from the Dáil. Thanks to Declan Conlon, our producer. Um, we'll be back very soon indeed. We'll be back on Friday with our wrap. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week.